0: Hello everyone and welcome back or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. This is Tom Ford and I believe that success in your inner world leads to success in your outer world. And that's really what gave me the desire to start this podcast was to to greater understand this inner world of the best players, professional players and coaches within the squash world. And, and not only that, but to develop a, a more balanced perspective on the paths to striving for success, uh, achieving success and life after success. So our guest today is Peter Marshall and for those of you that don't know Marsh, he's a former world number two and arguably one of the fittest athletes of his time. He competed in an, in a, quite a historic era with both the Khans, uh, Jahangir and Janshya and in this conversation we, we talk about that and he recalls his memories of playing both of them uh, however he, he became he ch- he was challenged by um, experiencing chronic fatigue at the age of 24 so we talk about the challenges that he faced in terms of diagnosing it and the the steps that he took to not only return but to return into the world's top 10 And we talk about these things in in greater detail in the conversation. So I'm sure you can look forward to that. And just the last thing I'll leave you with is there were three main themes that stood out to me in this conversation. The first one is passion and how Jonah Barrington had such an influence on instilling his passion and and morals to Peter. Um, But how when you are passionate about something, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice or hard work. Uh, the second thing is patience. I think patience with yourself and patience in the process. If you have your vision and goal set, it's setting in for the long run and having patience with your with your progress. And lastly, it was balance. and And this was really interesting because it's a side of balance that I hadn't even previously considered or thought about. And that's a a bit more of a balance within yourself in terms of the highs and lows of not, well, not only being a professional athlete, but in life too. And that's just not getting so high on the highs and so low on the lows. So almost flowing through life without having such extremes. So without further ado, here's the conversation. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back or welcome to Finding Balance. Uh, I'm Tom Ford and my guest today is Peter Marshall. Peter is a former world number two and one of the five players ever to beat Johanga Khan in an official match. Uh, But at 24 years old, he came afflicted with chronic fatigue syndrome and told he may never be able to play competitively again. Not only did he return years later, but he also returned back into the top 10 in the world. And even after retirement, continued to play competitively winning the World Masters in June in the over 40s last year. He wrote a book about his experience titled Shattered, A Champion's Fight Against a Mystery Illness, and is also an ambassador for a couple of different charities to help give underprivileged children access to sports. In 2015, at the World Squash Awards, he was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award for his achievements, continued support and commitment to the game. Marsh, welcome. 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 Um, what's it like to kind of hear all of that? Is there anything <laughs> that that
1: stands out? Um, is there anything that stands out? Um, I suppose, um, I suppose, what immediately stands out to me when when people kind of read um, uh, kind of my background back to me is uh, so now I'm forty six years old. Is uh, I suppose just how young I was when I first had. The illness that you described when I was number two in the world um, it's kind of quite an early stage to I suppose take a uh, you know a big um break from the game um, and quite an early stage uh, to kind of almost like hit your peak really um, obviously that's the highest ranking I got was when I was 24 years old 23 24 so um I think that's the thing that uh, that's the thing that surprises me when I when I when I hear that, led back to me again.
0: Mm.
1: And I mean, we can we'll we'll talk
0: a little bit more about your your career as the the conversation goes on. But I thought it'd be a good place to start is just to talk about retirement. Now mm. you know you you're saying you're 46, and maybe um, the playing days seem like quite a long time ago now. Mm. Um, we sat in the Ernst Young and Young building in London, uh, next to London Bridge uh how how is retirement i mean i guess you may be a little bit more used to it now but Mm. um what what's that kind of transition like
1: Mm. well it's a yeah it's a funny word in a way retirement because uh, i'm pretty busy at the moment (laughs) uh day-to-day work and and other things uh so i suppose the way i see it is um it's it's obviously retirement from professional Hmm. from professional squash um and I can imagine. I can imagine some people when they think of a sports person's career, it's almost probably people from the outside. It's like their life stops at that particular point, and then um, you know probably a lot of people then wonder what people do afterwards or how life is afterwards. Um, So yeah, I'm probably busier now than I was when I was playing squash. To be honest, so uh, in terms of retirement, it it, you know definitely definitely isn't kind of overall retirement. but yeah stopping playing squash i mean that is um stopping playing professionally uh from you know from a sport that's um like you know like everyone it's a, it's, a, it's probably, especially people who play squash is a, is a passion mm-hmm. and something that you've done probably every day since the age of 6 or 7 years old yeah. uh and you've got set goals and you're working towards set things and then uh, you know, it's probably at times in your life that's probably all you almost all you're thinking about is squash and your next squash match and how are you gonna beat this person and how are you gonna move at the rankings. Uh, and for that to then stop is actually very difficult to adjust to. Mm. Um, and there's probably more written about that now in terms of retirement for professional sports people, but it's um it is a very it is a very difficult time and it's difficult to prepare for as well because mm-hmm. um it, because you can, um, you, know, you can, I mean, I could now sit down and offer advice to people who are playing squash and say, you need to prepare for your career after the sport um, and you need to think about, you know, maybe doing other things and starting to have other interests and that's, you know, it's easy to say but if I was giving that advice to myself, I'd probably just not really want to listen to it I'm just, you know, still just thinking of, you know, as I said before, the next squash game, the next match, trying to improve, it's all also consuming not necessarily from a time point of view but from a mental point of view mm. um so it definitely takes um definitely takes time to adjust um uh, you know into a into a new life and um i suppose the other thing you have to i think is, is important is um i suppose being realistic about the next things that you're going to do um I and mean, as I said before most people start playing squash or, or become professional squash players because they're passionate about the sport it's not a it's not a you know the sport's so tough and hard you you, you can't do it just by quite liking the sport it's going to be just too tough to do on a day and day basis and obviously there's not the money years you know to to, to reward yourself either um, so so it's yeah, so, so 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 once that's over, and once you're kind of you, what you're doing on a day basis, the, you know that that passion that you've, you know, you you kind of comes so naturally to you on a day in day day out basis. Once that's gone, and then and then you have to think about doing something else. I think it's being kind of realistic is is, is 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 probably one of the hardest things because you know it can happen, and some people do go on to do something else that they're unbelievably passionate about, or maybe even more passionate about than than the sport they were doing. But it's um, that's probably the exception. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not to say you need to lower your standards and just do anything, but I think it's you know it's realizing that most people um, never get the opportunity to do something that they're passionate about, and they can also do it as a career. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's almost accepting that you actually were very lucky in that stage to be able to do that and then move on and, and then do something else, rather than looking back and thinking and comparing your life, you know, post squash to what it was like previous to squash. Mm, sure. Um, so, so yeah, yes, so, it's a, so it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting change. Mm.
0: So, did you, when you were playing, did you did you have or make the time to think about what you would be doing, or do you do you think that is something that, you know, as you're saying it, it when you are so consumed by it, it's mm. I, th- I think to a certain extent it's important to be, you know, exactly. if you want is, if you want yes. to achieve it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think. To have something else to think about can mm. actually be quite refreshing so mm. what what are your thoughts on that? Is it something that you can think mm. about and mm. and potentially plan for or or mm. or would you wait until the time is necessary mm.
1: well i think well I'll, I'll 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 give you two answers to that I suppose one answer is what I did, which isn't necessarily the right thing and then another answer is, is what is what I think you can do and what you should do um so I probably didn't really plan um, for anything after my career while I was kind of in the midst of it and and playing. Um, although having said that, because I stopped when I was twenty four and was out of the game for for uh, probably about eighteen months, the first time came back and then was out of the game for another eighteen months and came back again. I did have quite just naturally in those periods quite a lot of time to. Think about other things, um, not necessarily in terms of career, but in terms of um, pursuing other interests. So I went back to college and uh, did an Open University course and did some of the um, different types of courses, creative writing course, I think I did <laughs> at okay. one stage. So I did some different things. Was that a um, plan with the book or not? no? <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. No. <laughs> just, just, uh, just quite, just quite random things, really. Um so uh but I didn't really focus on any on any you know, thoughts on what I was going to do at the end of my at the end of my squash career um but I think you came up with a good point earlier about um needing to be focused and you know i suppose obsessional, maybe that's too strong a term, but um you know need 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 to be very driven and um mm-hmm. focused about what you're doing, and I think that is important, however. I do think it can help you if you've got other things to think about and other things to do. Um, that um, and and looking back on it, I actually don't think that you need to. You know, if you're a professional squash player, you necessarily need to spend every uh, waking second, waking minute um, thinking about squash and doing things that are involved with in squash. I think you can, and, and I and I think it's probably not a healthy thing to do either. It might be healthy in the, sh- well, it might be good for you in the short term, but in the long term. I don't think it's good for your personality, probably even for your longevity of your career either. So, um, I would advise kind of people to have a balanced approach and actually, you know, uh, undertake interests um, or potentially studying or doing doing things that are not going to be um, against your kind of you know against your squash career or or. Or potentially, you know, using up too much energy for your squash career, but you, but but I think if you complement, um, um, you know, other interests with 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 your professional career, I think that I think that is actually a good thing.
0: Mm. And I don't think it needs to be huge amounts of time either. You know, it's no. it's very refreshing to to hear you say that because it's something that I believe and I've spoken about with kind of our previous guests who have been sort of players on the tour already.
1: Mm. Um
0: and. it's often, you don't have to maybe just set long periods of time to go, what am I going to do with my life? It Mm -hmm. it is just something as simple Mm -hmm. as having a bit of free time to go, Mm. well, what am I interested, or do something that you're interested in outside of it. And then that that just kind of naturally evolves. And it might be a case of doing something that you don't like. And then you go, okay, well, that's that box tick, that's something I don't like. And you're just forever getting slightly closer to knowing yourself better i guess so when the time does come you it's a much easier transition exactly yeah yeah so did you ever imagine that you would you would be in this in this (laughs) environment (laughs) (laughs) and as a as a job
1: uh not really no so i so so just going back and just thinking about what happened to me after i stopped playing professionally i um my first thought was that i wanted to be a physiotherapist so i um went back i actually yeah. had to go back and do a levels again because i didn't have the right a levels to do physiotherapy so i went back and did the right a levels then i did a physiotherapy course at nottingham university and then i worked as a physiotherapist for a couple of years and then realized that actually that wasn't the career that i wanted to do for the rest of my life um and then I went back to university again and did a business course, and then ended up in this role that I'm I'm at now. So, so no, I mean, no, so the answer is no, and that's probably because I wouldn't have even known this type of a job, this role existed. I mm-hmm. I, I just wouldn't have known about it. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, so, so if I was looking back now, twenty years and seeing myself where I'm at now, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have predicted I'll be, <laughs> I'll be doing what I'm doing. Um, So, yeah, so it's it's probably a bit like, like you said, Tom, it was a bit of a journey for me in terms of trying certain things out and then stopping and changing and trying other things out to get to where Mm. I am now.
0: Yeah, and it's very rarely a a linear path either, is it? You kind of move one step in the direction you think you're going to go and then maybe Mm. you'll get pushed to another side Mm. and... I don't think it's ever just that that one linear path. No, here.
1: exactly. Yeah. So I. So when I. So so even what I do as a, as a physiotherapist relates. You know, there is some relation to what I do now. So um, I, what I do now is healthcare consulting. So it's, it's 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 not physiotherapy, but there is there is some alignment and some relation to what I um, what I did before. Um, so yeah. So I think it's just it's just. Um, it's just trying things out. I mean, trying something out is better than doing nothing. That's how yeah. that's how I see it. Um, even if it's not the right thing to do, um, and then yeah, like you said, eventually I think you you know narrow down your options and you probably then find what you want to do. But I think then it's it's still probably for that period of time, and then things you know probably evolve again. And you know, years down the line of yeah. doing a similar job for a similar number of years, you might want to change track again. I think, and I think that's happening more and more now yeah. um, in people's lives, and people are working. Living longer and also working for longer as well, and um, I think people now can quite easily have two or three different careers, and that's um, you know that will that, that 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 will become more and more normal. I think as, as the years go on.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like gone gone are the days where you just have that that one job for your entire life and mm. <clears throat> work till you retire at whatever and take your pension and go. I think. Mm there's so much more opportunity now to to do something that you love or or something exactly, that you're passionate yeah. about, I think that's really exciting yeah yeah um just one one more question about about this. we were speaking about it earlier in terms of um the transition and the fact that you know you're you're, you're very much focusing on yourself and improving in mm. the next step mm. um how do you how do you deal with the comp- with the lack of competition now because mm, mm. i was um i was reading on on lj's or lawrence Angema's blog mm. uh, the other day he was just writing about he, he retired quite recently and um he was talking about working in an office and he just had to get out put the running shoes on mm. and, and get running and, he, and he's still finding it hard to make that transition mm. it's a very interesting blog by the way I'll, I'll put it i'll put it in the show notes but and even to my, to my extent, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not playing as much competition as I used to, but I just find I get, I just get a little bit itchy from not yeah. having the, the personal challenge and yeah. that there's something very uh, challenging and, and you learn so much from that, yeah. that real heightened competition. Yeah. Yeah. Do you... Do you have to recreate that you find without yeah. it now after having so yeah. many years no I, th- getting... I don't think that ever leaves you to mm. be honest
1: that's, yeah. that's one of the things you probably have to try and live with or try and recreate if it yeah. happens with the type of work you're doing then that's great if it doesn't you have to try and recreate that in, in 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 other ways because it's um it's yeah it's difficult it's it's that's that's definitely one of the difficult things having I think when you're playing a sport it's almost so black and white because you're playing matches. You're trying to win matches. You have a ranking. You know where you stand. You've got real definite goals and aims, and um, and that's um, that's actually quite nice in a lot of respects because you kind of know where you stand. Mm-hmm. Um, if you play well, it's down to you know you, you know it's down to you. If you're not playing well, okay, you might be unlucky in with injuries, etc. But it's that's also down to you. Um, whereas when you come into the more of the kind of generalised work environment. It's not quite so black and white as that. And there's probably a lot more other factors that play into your, you know, perceived success or lack of success right other than just just what you're doing on a day-to-day um you know, on a in your day to day job. And you don't have as many of the highs and lows in a, in a in a in a in a job outside of professional sport. Um and again that's that's you know, that's hard to that that's hard to get used to. Um so I'm, you know, I'm similar. I have phases where I get into certain things. I was into running quite a lot over the summer, and I had did a series of five k runs on a Monday night in a local park where I lived. And you know, you have this little goal of then trying to beat your time, and you know, yeah. you get and then that's that kind of thing does give you still a big buzz, mm-hmm. um, where you've got some kind of personal challenge, and you can, uh, you know, and probably the physical challenge as well um, is important that you can kind of set yourself against and. Um, I think you need you do need to you do need to have that. I, maybe not everybody, but um, mm-hmm. but I do, and I, and that's and that's also why I still like playing as well, because that's also a bit of a challenge in certain you know certain times of of, of um, uh, I mean, not all the time all through the year, but if I you know if I have certain little set challenges where or a little match that I've got to prepare for, you know, it gives me a bit of a um you know something to kind of to work towards and, and, and think about. So um so yeah, so it's a yeah, that's a that's that's I think that's something that you is always can be quite difficult to come to terms with is that um is that is that lack of um day to day kind of you know challenge, especially physical physical challenge. Mm.
0: So um so let's rewind a little bit and kind of focus a bit more on your journey up mm. until now. So you were you were born in Nottingham in the seventies. And mm. um, what was life back then? What was life like back then? And what were the kind of attitudes around squash and professional squash at the time?
1: So, I suppose I I, I suppose when I kind of came to, I was born in 1971. Start. So I started playing squash when I was um, quite an exciting, very exciting time for the sport. Um, Having said that, it was, very, it was still very amateur. I mean, the game was professional, but it was still had a very much of a, a, an amateur feel to it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was very fortunate. When I first started out and started playing events and junior events and competitions, um, that, that was when um, Jonah Barrington started the first kind of national training uh, squads Um so I think I went to the first one when I was I think I think maybe when I was eight years old, um, and that was yeah that was I mean that was great I mean that was and but but again it's probably totally different to what it is like now it was it was Jonah along with a few of his um, professional um, a few of the professional squash players professional coach, professional coaches at the time who weren't necessarily employed by England by England Squash mm-hmm. Association they were just it was just a, a mix of people all coming together to. Create create a a training national training squad. I think the first squad was actually called an an official national training squad because it wasn't wasn't part of a any kind of a system, Um, and that was great to kind of be part of. And and actually a lot of the things that we probably used to do then, you know, would still people would do now actually, which is quite interesting. So we would have. would have like a physical trainer there I and mean, that sounds quite tough for an eight or nine year old but there was somebody from the army called Bob Harris who used to come along and give us training sessions and there was a sports scientist who came along from the British Olympic Medical Centre and um, you know you had treadmill tests and all different kinds of you know physical um, examinations and tests um, mm. so actually it was it was probably more scientific than actually people maybe quite realise it. it's obviously not nothing like it is now Um and it was, you know, it was. Uh, I think the other interesting thing about it as well was that people like, obviously, Joni there heading it up, but the people he would bring in, the other coaches he would bring in, weren't necessarily all from England. So you could have an right. Egyptian coach, you could have a Pakistani coach, you could have different people from different areas. And um, so that was also, you know, looking back on it, that that was also that was also great as well. Um, so so yeah, I, I feel like I was very very fortunate to be yeah. part of all of that
0: and. So you mentioned that you you were kind of eight on these national national squads and mm. doing physical tests. Was how were you responding or feeling about that? Is it is it we did you always kind of have that determination or vision that you wanted to be a pro?
1: Or? I don't think at that age. No, I mean all I remember really at that time was um, so we used to it was the training the national training sessions were um, were in. Um, Sorry, I have to think about this. I've said the word now, and I can't remember where they actually were. Wotton Court, which is in um, in Warwickshire, and all I remember about it was um, was just wanting to be on court all the time. So we had a, a very intensive, you know, day of training and day of squash. And yet, we'd stay. The accommodation was right next to the squash courts, and we'd, we'd you know, me and all the other people in the training squad would be up at you know six o'clock just playing ourselves. You know, three right. o'clock before that should day even started. So. <laughs> so so i don't think i was put off by you know the intensity of it otherwise mm. you know i wanted wanted to uh, play even more in my in my own time yeah. um so so yeah so it was it wasn't it wasn't a negative thing at all no.
0: mm. and i mean you achieved a, an enormous amount of success in the juniors as well mm. winning national titles in every age group and I guess very impressively the British Junior Open under 19s in 1989. Mm. Um what what do you remember about those times? What do you and what do you attribute your success at that young age to?
1: Um, so I think it just goes back to the passion of wanting to play and enjoyment of wanting to play. I mean my parents they owned a squash club but they they weren't necessarily pushy at all about me playing squash. Um it was all it, it Generally, all came from me. Um, so um, I think I was just fortunate that I just found something that fitted in with my character, my personality, what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I played a bit of golf when I was younger. I played a bit of tennis, um, and I suppose I could have gone down those routes, which probably would have been a lot more sensible <laughs> financially. <laughs> but uh, it was squash that was a sport that really kind of took me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah I just liked I suppose I just liked it for the same reasons as a as a as I as 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 kind of like it now just the overall uh physical challenge the mental challenge um you know everything about it was uh, I I um you know really loved so that's so that's what I that's what I remember about that period. I don't necessarily remember the competitions quite so much um mm-hmm. you know although I you know I was obviously playing most weekends I was playing you know going away playing tournaments junior tournaments probably a bit like what people do now I mm. think that's really changed that whole setup um, so yeah so so yeah it was a good it was a good fun time from what I can remember
0: so is it is it as simple as that just have fun because I'm sure there are a lot of a lot of players that were having fun at the time I'm so sure what was what was separating yeah. you yeah I mean
1: I say have fun I mean I you know people. Say to me you must have made sacrifices to me it wasn't a sa- this is was just my personal um this is how personal it was for me it didn't really feel like i was making any sacrifices because i was sure. doing something i really liked doing and enjoyed doing obviously there's times where you know it's tough and it's hard and um but in general it was you know i i wanted to do it and i enjoyed doing it and also um, I suppose you become part of a setup a scene, you've got you know, your friends that you're also playing, you know, you're meeting them over weekend, it becomes part, you know, it becomes, you know, a main focus of your life. Sure. Um, so um I still think that is overlooked actually now. So so for example, my son now is playing a bit of tennis, and there's other people who play tennis at his similar age. And I just kind of get concerned when parents get or children get too engrossed in the end outcome of what they're trying to do in terms of winning, for example. Um, and um, obviously, you need discipline and you need, um, you know, you need to work on certain areas of your game or, you know, be, be you know, you can't just be, it can't just be totally a kind of a big free fall and just do a, do anything you want to do every day. But I think, um, you know, if you don't keep that enjoyment, tough, you know, if you don't enjoy it when you're young, you never, you, it's going to get worse as you get older because it gets, you know, because everything gets tougher as you get older. So, uh, you know, i think it's just trying to keep that um keep that kind of love passion enjoyment going at the highest level for for as for as long as possible
0: mm-hmm. yeah and and as you said it just it doesn't feel like work then does it if you or you the the harder the harder stuff is um just just happens a lot more yeah, naturally it, just it happens happening. yeah
1: i mean to be honest as well the game you know it, it's the, i suppose the way it works out in terms of competing for squash you know if you're playing people who are you know, very good players um you're competing against players better than you that in itself if you're just doing that a lot is great you know probably a bit like the egyptians that's probably that's probably a bit like how we used to you know it wasn't really that scientific as such in terms of all the practicing and training but the competition was very intense um and you know i really enjoyed that competition and that's another you know See that's another big thing as well. If you can, if you're not put off by competition, that that has to be a really good way of, of setting you up for the future. If you do want to then go on and be a professional sportsman.
0: Sure. So you mentioned Jonah being quite integral, at least in mm-hmm. setting up the junior mm-hmm. squads and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. was. Was he one of your main inspirations or influences at the time, or were there, were there others yeah, as well? Yeah,
1: no, he was definitely. Yeah. So I went to see Jonah for the first time, but I think when I was either seven or eight, um, I was coached by, I had a bit of coaching from someone in Leicestershire called um, Tim Ayling, who knew Jonah, and he took me along to um, see Jonah, I think, yeah, as I say, when I was seven or eight. And I've, I've got some memories of actually that first time I ever went on court with him and and, um, and played with him. And I think. Also, he Jonah was part of the training squads, but he was, you know, I suppose his philosophies and, and how he thought about the game was very instrumental for everybody at my time. Um, you know, he was a, he was the kind of the main mentor for all the juniors of my particular era, mm-hmm. um, and that then carries on with you. You know, that that kind of way of thinking carries on with you forever, really. Mm-hmm. You, you don't um, you don't ever lose that. So, so again, that's just that's very fortunate to be involved in the game at that particular time.
0: I think yeah, I think he was just his name was synonymous with mm. with squash at that time, wasn't it? Even mm. not amongst squash players, um, exactly. Yeah, particularly in the UK. And um, so, do you want to just talk a bit more about that philosophy as well of of what he promoted and yeah, I guess so, embodied?
1: Yeah. So he was um, you know, extremely extremely passionate about the game. So I suppose one thing was you couldn't help but you know if he was around you or coaching you or um, Uncorkly, you, you couldn't help but be enthused, energised by just being around Jonah. That was that was the first thing. Um, I remember we I played him, but it was probably when I was a bit older. Actually, probably when I was like fifteen, sixteen. I played the world. There's a world junior tournament in Scotland, and I was two all with an Australian player called Mark Carlisle, and Jonah was giving me advice in between games, and just he was talking to me so much he wouldn't let me get back on court. And I went back on court. I think I had two penalty points against me and I went, originally went two left down. But that was, you know, couldn't get frustrated about that. I was just so enthusiastic about wanting, you know, um, kind of wanting the best for you and imparting his knowledge that that was, um, you know, that was, um, that was obviously great. I mean, his, his other, you know, some of his other big, kind of themes were um even though we didn't really think about it at the time was attention to detail, always talking about attention to detail about small things. And I mean, now you hear similar terms like marginal gains and you know <laughs> it's the same thing as what same thing as what Jonah was talking about um you know in the 70s, 80s, the same kinds of philosophies of uh you know preparation and looking at every um you know small area. He was very You know, he was very um, focused on quality as well. Very, very focused on quality, and again, that that always always stays with you, in terms of you know when you're practicing or training, being at the height. You know, he didn't have much time for people who were kind of lost concentration and, and didn't really put everything into you know every training session or every match and i think again that then becomes installed in you as second nature that every time you go on court you you know you try and maximize your time on court and that was you know looking back at it that was that was great to have that um you know it's it's great to have that drilled into you from from a young age even if you didn't really you know you weren't really thinking that it was being drilled into you it it, it was which was um it stands you in very good stead
0: Mm. yeah absolutely i think i think that's one of the the greatest gifts you can give as a coach actually is just passing on your your passion and mm-hmm. and i think the skills that kind of transfer beyond the squash court as well there's certainly the the coaches that i've had that have had the most influence on me have just been a lot more than a squash coach maybe mm-hmm. whether they realized it or not or i realized it or not at the time and mm-hmm. um, and i think when you do have such a passion that kind of attention to detail and fascination with the game just comes as a side effect mm-hmm. um, um so you, as I said, you you won the British Junior Open. Mm. Did you decide to to go full time kind of after that, or were you were you thinking about university?
1: Yeah, so so I was thinking about university. So I, I I think I said to myself, I think probably when I was seventeen, eighteen, I was going to try out playing professionally for a year and see how it went, mm. and then if it didn't go well. I would then go to university, and if it went well, I'd continue. That's what I, I think that's what I said to my parents at the time, and they, you know, they because they were slightly unsure about me playing squash professionally, right. so that was agreement that we had. Um, I think that's quite a common agreement. Yeah, it's quite, <laughs> <agreement. laughs> yeah, it quite a common agreement. Yeah, it's quite a common agreement, and yeah, then then I just um, did well in the first year, and then and then and then kind of carried on from there. Hmm. Um, so that's how it went. Having said that, I and mean, I think if I probably had my time again, I don't, I wouldn't be adverse to going to university and playing squash at the same time. And I think it's probably now, it's probably now easier to be able to do that. There's probably more universities where you can do both things side by side, and the sports scene is much better um, to, to enable you to do that. And I think that's actually quite important. You know, if if that is what you want to do, I think again that's that's quite a good thing because it again you, you, you're not just being unbelievably intensive in an age. So I would definitely. Um, or you know, I'd always propose that that's if that's what if you wanted to go down that route of education, I, I think doesn't matter how good you are, um, whether you're going to be the next, you know, Jan Shakan or Remy Ashour or whatever. It's still, I think, uh, I, I don't think you lose out eventually by by doing that. That's mm. my that's my opinion now. Um, so yeah, so that's how it worked out for me. Decided to play for a year and then and then and then just kept going. Mm-hmm.
0: And w- was there much in the way of support at that time? H- had a Governing body developed, or how how are you supporting yourself? Yeah,
1: no, there was there was a, we had a, a program called the Young England Squad, which was I suppose maybe this I think there's this something similar now, you know, for kind of like aspiring young professionals. As a squad set-up um, that was sponsored by Reebok actually, and they provided lots of you know support in terms of training, and we had different um, you know money as well to go and travel to play tournaments. So that was that was there. Um, there was also the, 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 we didn't have the lottery like we have now, lottery funding, but um, it was probably easier in some respects to get sponsorship. I would say, okay. um, just because of the popularity of the sport. Yeah, games. popularity of the sport. Yeah, at the time, um, so that you know, that helped in terms of um, you know the finances and and the prize money as well was you know it wasn't obviously unbelievable. It, it, it kind of never has been, but um, it was you know in, in terms of you know uh in terms of look you know kind of comparing with inflation, it's probably not actually that much dissimilar to what it is right. now, to be honest so I mean p- people think it was um people think it was, but it probably isn't actually that much difference mm. um and you know some of the top players were probably earning just as much money as what people are earning now um so financially, it's no different to what it is now, I would say mm-hmm. in, in terms of you know kind of making it pay
0: sure so just actually because you did achieve success or your highest ranking quite early on. I think it would be quite easy to to just to jump straight to Jansha. But um mm-hmm. I do you want to just maybe share a little bit about your journey to mm-hmm. getting to world number two?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um so it was so yes I think I joined the PSA properly when I was 18. Um and I just had a very steady rise, really. So it just seemed to be that every year I was moving at the rankings and just gradually getting higher and higher and higher. And I actually didn't start, I think I was probably 18, maybe even close to 19. And I think on, almost on purpose, I played a lot of tournaments in the UK before I actually joined the PSA. Mm-hmm. So that meant, that then meant, um, I think I was probably number three or four in, the, in, in, in England before I joined the PSA. So that actually meant that when I started playing the qualifying events in the PSA, I was kind of winning most of them and getting you know getting through rounds right. and getting through tournaments so I didn't have a long period of um, losing in qualifying events for example and uh, kind of not really moving at the rankings and I think on uh, I just seemed to make that decision myself that that was a better way for me to do it was to be um, a better player before I started playing on the world circuit um, and then I mean at the time when I first started there was the, probably the top three or four in the world there was Jahangir Khan Jan Khan, um, there was Chris Dickmar, Rodney Martin, um, Brett Martin. There was a it was very, was a very strong era actually. The mm. top kind of ten, five, ten players, and then there's also a lot of younger up and coming players um, from, especially from Australia, coming through as well, and and, and from England. Um, so yeah, so I just kind of travelled the world, played all the tournaments I needed to play, and just um, gradually, you know, moved up the rankings. Um, just kind of got experience and moved at the rankings.
0: And what did your training look like? What, and what was what was motivating you at the time as well?
1: What was motivating me at the time? I suppose it was it was my motivation had always been to try and improve my own game and get better. It was it obviously is the ranking as well eventually, but um I was very focused on trying to improve and play better squash and, and you know, improve my own game. And I seemed to have quite a long-term view about that. So I I wasn't necessarily too concerned, even from a young age, of playing, you know, the exhibition matches and National League matches. Obviously, I would tr- try my hardest and all those, but I would always work my training around the tournaments and say, trying to get better and trying to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was, you know, looking back at it was 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 important and, and the right thing to do. Um and Uh, I suppose at that time as well when I so this is now probably early '90s. This is when you know the game was changing then as well. So it was starting to go from when I first started, it was um, English scoring up to nine, I think in the first year on the circuit, and then it went to you know quite quickly went to American scoring to fifteen, and then it went down to the lower ten and glass courts as well. Obviously started coming into play, rackets. The graphite rackets were in a bit earlier, but they were becoming lighter and lighter. So. Things were starting to change in terms of uh, the game as well mm-hmm. um, so it was you know starting to adapt to some of those changes as well which was um you know uh, which was which was which was different i mean i would have probably not played on a glass glasscore until i was 18 you know so that was the first time i even saw a glass glasscore when i played on some of the tournaments on the world scene so you know all of that was all of that was new but it, it was you know it was things that i suppose I, I gradually over time got more and more used to and and, mm-hmm. and better at kind of dealing with
0: was there much in the way of, or any emphasis on on mental and emotional training and the sort of the inner game that side of things? I think
1: people did. I think that people did think about it. Yeah, and and there were people who saw sports psychologists even then. Um, so there was. Um, I used to train at Nottingham um, the Parks, Washleb, and Lisa Opie, um, who was. She got to number two in the world. She was seeing a sports psychologist actually, even back then, even in in those years. Right. But it just wasn't so widespread as what it is now, mm-hmm. um, I suppose. And there wasn't so much importance placed on seeing sport you know a sports psychologists as what it uh, as, as what there is now. But I suppose you just learn your own kind of techniques as well for doing things and thinking about things. Which again, you know, years down the line, you see sports psychologists talking about it, and it's probably some of the earlier things that you, you know, I was even thinking about then, not from necessarily speaking to sports psychologists, but working things out for yourself. Mm-hmm. I suppose, yeah. you know, I was having continued uh, coaching and help from Jonah, but a lot of this stuff, um, I suppose, in terms of improvement, was things that you, I was having to work out myself. I suppose yeah. uh, because everything was quite new. The whole game, professional game of squash, was quite new. Coaching was, you know, in terms of very experienced coaches, all of that was, you know, not like it is now. So um, a lot of people did, you know, not many people had sports psychologists and probably, you know, full had a full-time coach, but a lot of people didn't have, you know, know, kind of proper full-time coaches either. So a lot of it was down to yourself, I suppose, and trying to work out what to do, how to get better, how to play. And I think a lot of the
0: the mental strength and resolve came from the extensive physical training as well oh. um mm. i don't know what your what your thoughts are on that but i i can only imagine the kind of type of physical training yeah. that you put yourself through and that that does have a a a, a very i think it goes beyond just training physical yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. the kind of mental steel that that gives you is is probably as beneficial as as the the physical. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: No, no, I agree. I mean, going back to, you know, talking about Jonah in the early days, he was a big proponent of doing solo practice and drilling on your own and really, you know, again, making it very valuable when you're doing that. And again, that always stayed with me in terms of, uh, you know, that kind of practicing and that environment, and also the mental side of it as well, the discipline of doing things properly and doing things well, that then also then translate, you know, I suppose his philosophy was if you didn't train properly, if you didn't um, practice properly, then eventually you'd get found out on court, you know, mm. you might become, you might lose the odd point through like a concentration or whatever. Um, and I think that was, yeah, I think that was, I think that was very important. And I think the other thing that was also probably helped me from quite a young age, or especially when I, or when I just turned professional, turned professional was, um I, I, was, was, um because I suppose I didn't have a set coach and on a day-to-day basis or was involved in a set kind of training routine or a set squad I would travel a lot around the country and just go and play different players or stay with different players and you know mm. whether it's an egyptian player whether it's an australian player or you know whatever it was and that was you know that was a very important part of my kind of learning process going to mm. stay with you know older professionals who then would give me advice and so um you know you pick up lots of different things from lots of different people and it was quite a, a free environment for that to happen which mm-hmm. looking back on it I mean I don't, I don't know how much that happens now but it was um i think that was you know a very good way yeah. of learning the game and just getting you know different experiences and you know playing against different players and you know playing lots of hard competitive games but you know in, mm-hmm. in uh, against different types of people and from different nationalities that was because a lot of people were based in the UK back, right. back in in the kind of early 90s Late 80s, so that was that was also very important.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about that, and there's almost a danger now that that we can get a bit overcoached or over reliant mm, mm. on all the amazing different resources that we have, and exactly, it potentially yeah. just takes away the ownership of going and doing it yourself yeah, and learning exactly for yourself. And learning yourself. I think that
1: is, I think you're right. I think that's very important. I mean I remember going down to Brighton, for example, and playing Chris Dipper and going to you know going to stay there. Uh, I used to go and stay with a friend called Angus Kirkland in Brighton and play Chris Tipmar and He would used to just, you know, absolutely thrash me day in, day out, you know, yeah. probably for like four or five days on the trot. And you yeah. know, looking back on it, that is I couldn't get I couldn't get better kind of training, kind of experience in doing that. Mm. I think he was number two in the world at the time and I was probably, you know, not even started out in the professional ranks. Right. Um so I'd do things like that, or go to I used to go to Birmingham and play Robert Owen, who now coaches, who was older than me, um, you know, and he was a very difficult player to play. And again, you know, at the very start, he would just beat me all the time, easily, you know, had very deceptive shots, difficult shots. Uh and you know, so it's all of those kind of learning experiences were um you know, that are kind of valuable. Um mm. and you know, if you're thinking about it, if you think about it in the right way, then you can learn so much from um you know, having all those different experiences.
0: Definitely. Yeah.
1: So you reach number two, mm.
0: what what was that feeling like? You know, I guess it had been a goal, and yeah. I guess at the time you didn't know that was going to be your highest ranking. No, so it, no it, exactly. Yeah. But um, what were your feelings around that time? You know, there's yeah. only one person, one person left, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Yeah. Did you were you able to celebrate a little bit, or were um, you? No, I don't. What were the feelings?
1: I, yeah, not, not not particularly. I think you you know you're, you're st- you know every time you get better your standards kind of raise you know mm-hmm. and and I was <laughs> um, I suppose I was not. Satis, you know, I was satisfied. I was happy that I got to that level, but you, you know, I was thinking of the next, thinking of the next level, and um, anyway, it was also tough as well because you got people coming from behind you. I mean, at the time, there was Peter Nichol, who was probably he's he's a of years than me, but he was probably four or five in the world. He was coming up rapidly, so I was competing against him. Um, there's Australian players who are still very good. Rodney Isles, you know, he was three or four in the world, so that was also tough. And then also, obviously, Jansha as well. Um, but I was having a big push on trying to get closer to Jansha and beat Jansha during that. You know, I suppose from the age of like twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. Um, so a lot of my kind of training or the way I was thinking about the game was, des- you know, was designed around his game, I suppose, and mm. trying to get closer, closer and closer to, to him um and I think probably at that stage it probably was the most obsessional time in a way even though you should be I suppose happier because you know you maybe should be more relaxed (laughs) I was more relaxed in one sense but also because you know you're kind of getting closer and closer to the top you Mm. become more you know driven on a particular goal focus I guess Um, because
0: you can see the finish line now can't you know where it is and what needs to be done yeah
1: yeah so 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 yeah so that probably drove me um you know to train harder, uh, mm. you know, think more intensely about it. And that, that, I don't know whether that had a direct correlation with me then getting ill, but it was probably didn't help matters, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
0: So um, I've just got a little kind of excerpt from your book about uh, what you wrote about Jansha. So you put Jansha had a different approach to Jahangir. Um I'll I'll mention what you wrote about Jahangir as well, just for comparison, was Jahangir used to be an overwhelming warrior. From the very first moment he stepped on the court, he was out to devour you. It was immediate and constant attacking, high pace, high position on the tee, lots of volleying. Add to this speed and fitness, and often he seemed to beat his opponents even before they have put their feet on the court. Mm -hmm. Uh, By comparison to Jansha, he said he had a different approach. He wasn't a destroyer like Jahangir. He liked to play slow pace and didn't mind letting the rallies last long uh, allowing his opponents to settle and attack and to go for their shots he was using his opponent's attacks to get them trapped he was transforming their positive energies into negative not with one shot but with a sequence of shots and a never seen before uh, stubborn tenacity um Hmm. yeah is there is there a moment or a match that kind of Epitomizes your yeah. your rivalry with him, yeah, or
1: your yeah. well. Just going back to Jahangir, I mean, I've you know. Met me, so, so as I said before, I was very lucky that when I was coming up, I'm playing probably two of the greatest players ever. You know, in, yeah. in terms of winning major tournaments, probably the two two best players ever. Um, so that was you know, and you kind of knew that at the time as well. It did feel quite special that you're competing right. against these, uh, competing against both of them. Um, so the first time I played Jahangir was in Australia, was in a World Open in Australia. Um, and I kind of lost in about, I half an hour, 40 minutes. But I remember going on court, again, this is a learning experience, but going on court with him and just thinking, even from the first serve, he ser- I remember he actually served down the middle, which at those days wasn't that usual, actually. People didn't really serve that hard down the middle, but right. he kind of crunched the ball 100 miles down the middle and I could <laughs> barely get out of the way of the ball. And so, you know, it was... Um, that intensity was something that I'd never, you know, seen before. I'd well, kind of seen in play, but never kind of felt before. But it was, um, you know, it, 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 again, from, the, from that learning of that, you kind of quickly kind of get to speed. You know, you, you start getting up to speed with a new, different pace, a different way of different way of playing. Um, so that was the first time I played him. I think I played Jansha in a tournament in Wales a couple of years later, maybe a year later, Um and I mean, like a, like you just read out, he was. I mean, he was a totally different player. Not not imposing in terms of intensity, but in terms of his movement, it was. You know, you could just tell it was it was unbelievable. I mean, I you know would have prided myself, especially if I'm playing for the f- someone for the first time because I'm playing with two hands, being deceptive. But I just always remember him never even going the wrong way. Even okay. for the first time he played me on any single shot, which was you know he just read the game so well and moved mm-hmm. so well. And was prepared to kind of wait on the tee and then move. He never overcommitted himself, you know. So, so it's a different, you know, totally different, um totally different skills. But both, you know, unbelievable in their own, in their own right. um And then with Jahangir, I suffered so losing to him in the World Open. I paid him in Australia. I paid him a year after that in South Africa. Which was actually an interesting tournament because it was the first tournament after the apartheid, first sporting event after the apartheid in South Africa. Right. Wow. Um, which so that was you know um, that was exciting in itself. Mm-hmm. And I played Jahangir again, and this is I suppose when he's you know he's definitely not as fit and quick and mobile as what he used to be, and was on you know kind of on the way down for him really. Um, and I it was two all, and he actually retired at two all against me. And I suppose that was in terms of a. Um, an exciting win. I think that's probably my most exciting kind of squash match I've been involved with. Right. Um, okay. Just to you know feel like you, you know Jahangir was somebody. I suppose he was at the top of the game and winning British Opens, World Opens when I was seven or eight or nine, and <laughs> we used to go and watch him play at the British Open or World Open or whatever it was. So, so to have that kind of idol, you know, in your mind, then you actually play them and eventually beat them um although he did retire (laughs) to all I'll still claim it as a win (laughs) um that probably was yeah that that kind of stood out as a um as a a match and Mm -hmm. event in my in my career
0: and how do you how do you make that separation what was your what was kind of going on in your head and in those matches before like playing an idol and
1: uh, yeah, I think the first time is very, very difficult, you go on court, and then you kind of get a bit, you know, you do get, obviously, you know, it's just, it probably is a bit of a time thing, really, you need to play people more than yeah. once, the first time is very difficult, but then it becomes a little bit more normal, um, but it was interesting against Jahanglia, because he was, when I played him, he was um, physically definitely not as good as what he used to be, but deadly with a racket, So I kind of went in with a, I remember now going in with a very, very clear kind of game plan about um, not kind of opening up the court too much and, uh, you know, kind of basically tying him down because Mm. anything kind of half loose, he was going to be absolutely deadly. Um, So, um, but yeah, no, it is difficult. It is difficult playing an idol like that, uh, but yeah, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to play Mm. both the cards.
0: Yeah, and take the win as well. Mm. So... You've made the final of the British Open in 1995, mm. the first player, British player, in 20 years to do so. Mm. You're 24, reaching the peak of your career and mm. making progress towards mm. beating someone that Janja that mm. you've become your whole training and mm. I guess life has been based mm. on. Mm. Um, take us to that moment and the moments afterwards.
1: Yeah. So I so I was getting, you know, uh, I was. Getting closer and closer to Jansha, um, I suppose from the age of tw- 23, 24, I had a couple of five-setters with him, um, I had some tough battles with him, didn't beat him, but I was definitely getting closer. Um, but how, you know, having said that, at that period as well, that's when I first started having phases of not feeling great, and um, I had kind of a tonsillitis during that phase that, that then they turned out to be glandular fever. Um, so it was a bit of a mix of, a, you know, I suppose of, of, of you know highs and lows around that phase because I was obviously mm. doing well, uh, I was getting closer to Junge I had a clear aim, but then I had periods where physically I wasn't feeling great. Um, and then, I suppose around that time of the British Open, or a few months before then, I was, you know, I had periods where you know, I really didn't feel good at all, mm. and that's when I first got diagnosed with glandular fever, I think probably about seven or eight months before that British Open and I had a couple of months off um but then I came back kind of far too quickly basically right. <laughs> um right. and I think that was probably the the time when you know that was definitely what um kind of brought on the chronic fatigue was having an illness well but I was still training on top of that illness and not you know resting for long enough and that was a bit of a catch-22 because um I suppose I was so mentally strong and physically so strong I could almost override how I was feeling and yeah. getting you know, and get up and keep pushing myself. But actually that was totally the wrong thing to do. And you know, doing that on a day in, day out basis was totally the wrong thing to do. Mm. But I couldn't stop myself from doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: that, that's essentially what you're training to do, isn't it? Yeah. is, is to ignore your mind because exactly. often yeah, 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 your mind yeah. Yeah. is it's, telling you to stop exactly. all the time yeah, yeah, yeah particularly yeah. in these exactly. really hard sessions yeah. so um yeah
1: yeah so my strength became my weakness around that point um yeah. and i think it's diff- it's probably different now because you would have you'd probably be involved in a much more scientific kind of sci- training program and there'd be much more knowledge around you know how you feel on a day-to-day basis watching out for any signs of being ill etc um so it would probably be easier to, you know, manage and 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 uh, uh, kind of you know not get go go down the hole that I went down, um, but yeah, it was yeah, it was one of those things where kind of my biggest strength turned into my biggest weakness, really.
0: Yeah. So, uh, at what point did you realise something was really wrong and and you know you you had to start listening?
1: Well, I mean, I probably realised it before that British Open. So b- before that British Open, I was, uh, a few months before then, probably the year leading up to that, I would say I was getting closer and closer to Jansha. Um But then I remember, I think it was probably a couple of months before the British Open, I went to have some tests and I had some tests on my liver and they said that it was all you know, totally out of kilter. All the, all the findings and results suggested I had some kind of either liver infection or liver problem that kind of related to the glandular fever and my whole body being totally run down. So I kind of knew this a little bit going into the British Open. Right. Um and I pushed my way through that tournament and got to the final. Um, and then in the final I lost probably easier uh, easier to juncture than I've done in, you know, probably for about three or four years. I mean I lost in like half an hour. I had nothing left whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it was then after that that I was, you know, so with all the efforts of that tournament while I was not hundred percent Really kind of knocked it out of me, and sure, yeah. it was it that was then the start of the process of not being able to well again taking phases of I, I think I took three of them out, tried to come back and play a bit again, and I definitely wasn't hundred mm-hmm. percent so that was yeah that was the start of the whole um uh, yeah start, start of all the problems
0: yeah mm-hmm. so maybe just take us on that journey of figuring out and get or getting to a point of clarity mm-hmm. where you knew what was mm-hmm. going on what you had to do. Remember reading in your book that because it is such an elusive thing, mm, mm, mm. Um, and again, something that you're kind of really conditioning yourself to ignore as a professional mm, athlete, mm, mm. you need you need proof, don't you, to stop? Yeah. So, how exactly can yeah. you, do you want to talk about the kind yeah. of different processes that you went through to, to yeah. try and identify it yeah. and I guess find a bit more peace with yourself and stuff? Yeah, it?
1: well, it was difficult, it was, yeah, it was all extremely difficult. I mean, any injury almost is difficult. But from my experience, having injury, you know, I've had a number of different injuries and it can be frustrating if you've got an injury, you don't know what the injury is, and you need to find out what it is, and then you eventually find out you get the right treatment for it. So that's but but it, for me that was always kind of easier to deal with because that's a bit more black and white about how you've got you know, you've got a certain injury, you yeah, eventually get a diagnosis, you're on a, a road to recovery, you've got a recovery plan, and you kind of work through that. And I think for a squash player or a sportsman who likes having goals and things like that and a set process to follow. That's you know you can just about cope with that, mm. but with what I had at this particular time, there were so many unknowns to it, and people just didn't understand what they knew that there was a, an issue of chronic fatigue syndrome or overtraining in sport or whatever it is. But it, there just wasn't a knowledge or insight into how to deal with it, or even how, how even how to diagnose it, or what to actually do. So. Mm-hmm. That was the really difficult thing is not really knowing where to turn to, who to speak to, how to resolve, you know. You you're kinda of used to resolving problems and getting over it and then moving on, but not yeah. you know, not being able to do that, I think was that was the hardest thing about it. Um I suppose it was that and then the combination of, you know, being close to being at the top and then all and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not playing any PSA tournaments, I haven't even got a ranking anymore. so from being near the top of the world to then, you know, yeah. being Right at the very bottom, and uh, so, so you know, and then thinking, whatever we'll ever play again? All these thoughts, you know, not understanding what I've got. It was, um, especially when you're young, like the, the, my age, uh, twenty four. It's probably be difficult for anyone at any age, but um, you know, it's a difficult time. Um, to say the least, it was a difficult time. Um, so, so yeah, so you, I just had to, you know, I suppose you just deal with it. Don't you? you deal with anything that's thrown at you? Eventually, you kind of you deal with you kind of deal with it. Um. Um. And it, you know, it probably changes you during that period. You know, it, it's it's. I think after then, say so I. I never really recovered physically, but I think also mentally as well. It's very difficult to kind of get over because you kind of in the back of your mind, you kind of scared about pushing yourself. So it, it's you know, it's a mental thing and a physical thing. And then like any like any injury, the longer you have something, even if you do start recovering, it becomes so it, it 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 kind of can take over your life your thought process of mm-hmm. you know before my thought process was about getting better at squash and then then now you start thinking about you know how can I get over this illness and get better mm-hmm. and it starts being that starts being more consuming um which um you know has it, in a lot of problem in a lot of it, injury you know it's a lot of illnesses anyway after a while become kind of you know there's a cycle psych- definitely a big psychological side to getting better mm-hmm. and that's you know um. So, so that was also you know something i had to try and try and deal with and try and work out how to um, approach things mm, so it
0: it just sounds like an incredibly tough time was is there like a, a worse moment that stands out if you want to share one particular it?
1: moment um or
0: just a general feeling, I
1: think yeah, I can't really pick on one particular moment, but I think it's just the general feeling of slightly being feeling hopeless, i suppose or, or or not knowing what to do that that feeling is is the most frustrating feeling um I mean, you know, you have days in the back of your mind where you try and be realistic and pragmatic and go, well, worse things can happen to you know I could have some very serious illness where I might you know some terminal illness, you know you you kind of you kind of try and rationalize things in your mind to yeah. make you feel better. But, you know, uh, I suppose it, it's, I suppose you, you know, your career has been taken, you know, it was felt like it had been taken away from me, which is, you know, a big thing for anybody to mm. have a career that you were doing and then you kind of know you're not doing now. And that's so much of your identity yeah. is that. And then it's not that anymore. That's, that's, um, so yeah, all of that is, is, is a process that you're, you know, you're trying to come to terms with um, and trying, yeah, trying, trying to, yeah, trying to deal with which is um yeah difficult yeah to be able to do especially when you're so especially when you're in your 20s early 20s sure. difficult difficult time when you when you've got um yeah, yeah you feel like you should be at your peak in you know, your peak of physical kind of fitness really and mental ability and then and then you have you know you, you can't apply what you you know you want to apply um so, and then you know, the, the other thing that's happening at the same time is Jansha, at that particular time was probably coming down in terms of his level. Mm, okay. So, you know, you, other people are coming up, Peter Nichols getting better, and um, other players are starting, and you know, Jonathan Powers probably starting to emerge as well. But it's kind of like a ripe right time as well <laughs> right, to get yeah. to the, t- you know, so
0: you feel like you're running out of time. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and
1: actually, you know, looking back on it, if I'd just probably just been very patient and not even probably even had to train that hard just kept things going you know almost naturally you could have then kind of taken over at the top I'm not saying that would have happened, but it, you know it, it would have it it um it was a good time for squash and it probably was starting to be coming into a slightly weaker area for the game actually for the next few years um so yeah. it was the right time. So, so that's also frustrating. You know, you've got that back of your mind as well. This is all. Mm. This is the right, you know, this is a perfect time to try and get to the top. And, and, and then, you you know, mm. it's not happening for you.
0: Yeah, so I think from what you're saying, like a just a slow, steady, consistent mm. kind of process towards your goal is... Mm it's definitely the, the the less damaging one and the, mm. the more well-rounding one. It doesn't mm. mean, by all means, shirking mm. the, the work that needs to be done. No, but exactly, I, don't, yeah. I think we have a bit more time than we feel. Exactly, and, yeah. And, exactly, and certainly yeah. now yeah. with the yeah. way that the game's going and the, the information that we have, yeah. you know, the careers are lasting so exactly, much yeah. I can kind of see, yeah. I can certainly understand from 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 your era, era, where I don't think playing into your thirties was quite so no, common. Exactly, I can yeah. see why the rush
1: was yeah. seemed more apparent. Exactly the rush. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, now there's just much more information about how you look after yourself and how mm-hmm. you train and how you prepare and how you rest. Um, and like you say, people didn't necessarily play for probably past their thirties in, in 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 my kind of era. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when you're young, you know, you're twenty three, twenty four. Time does feel a lot, you know everything feels like you need to do it tomorrow. You know, you, you're a bit more impatient, I think. So I'll be more patient now, but you're just generally yeah. more impatient anyway. So, sure. um So, yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's an interesting one. So what what did this process teach you? I suppose it makes you, you know, if you have you know a big kind of personal issue, professional or um, something in your personal life that happens at a young age, it, it probably... Makes you um, think you can cope with other things in terms of you know positive, looking at it positively. It, no, 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 you know, I suppose other events in my life hasn't you know, if it haven't gone quite as well as what I wanted to or planned to, haven't quite felt so disastrous as maybe if I hadn't had this experience or similar with highs as well. I'm probably a bit more, but it's probably made me a bit more balanced in terms of outlook on you know highs and lows in life and coping with things. You, know, you get that a bit from getting older and age as well but um um and then I suppose there's just the humility of you know just realizing well you know we're all human and we're all you know you think you might think you're invincible but then you're not invincible and that's you know that's <laughs> that's gonna you know carry on for in you know, other situations in your life as well so it, so it's um yeah it I wouldn't say that it knocks confidence as such, but it it makes you feel like you know anything could happen. Basically, at any state, you know, it's without being without being fatalistic about anything, but yeah. it just it just makes you realize life is you know life can throw up anything at you really, and um, that's how you know that's how it is. Some things are out your control, and mm-hmm. that's just the way it is, really. So, yeah,
0: um, uh, I think that realism with the right mindset approach or attached to it can be very very positive mm. and, and a very good thing because you don't you don't uh you just kind of you're a lot more in the moment and and appreciate yeah. don't look too far ahead and, exactly yeah 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 um so i think you tr- you tried to return quite yeah. a few times but yeah. you properly returned in 99 is that right? Or four years after? I think, the... no, I th- so
1: I think uh, what happened actually, I had two two returns. So I had about 18 months off and came back and played in about 97 oh. for about eight or nine months and got back in the top 10 in the world. Right. Um, and, I, you know, so I played, uh, so this was my, one of my best tournaments in that period was the World Open where I lost, I actually had to qualify because I'd had no ranking. <laughs> I had to qualify and got through to the Semi-finals, and I beat Jonathan, I think that that was the time when Jonathan Power was coming up um, and was kind of two or three in the world but about to be kind of number one or number two in the world and I played him and I beat him in the World Open but again I was not, I didn't feel 100% in myself and it was you know a struggle on a month by month basis, I played one tournament and have to take weeks off to recover and that was happening and then eventually I decided I think probably in kind of the middle of 98 to take another break for a year did that came back again in ninety? So then stopped, and then so then I went back to being you know bottom of the ranking list again, having to qualify again. And then came back and got back in the top ten in the world again, but again still not feeling quite hundred percent. So um, so yeah so so again that that was almost like it was coming back and returning to the game was was. It, it was probably, I probably enjoyed things more because I was making more of it, you know. Right, yeah. cause it's like, well, you know, I've got actually the chance to play, which is I thought well, once I can remember, I won't do. Um, so in terms of enjoyment, I probably enjoyed those years coming back almost more than when I was playing in my mm. younger years, but then also in the back of mind, there's a frustration of not being 100% still. Mm. Um, so, um so yeah, you know, not being hundred percent and thinking, well, if I if I was kind of failed was hundred percent, maybe I could do a bit better, and all, all those kind of thoughts. Um, so yeah, so it was yeah, it was it was um, it was yeah, it was an experience having to start from the bottom, come back, and then start from the bottom again and come back. <laughs> uh, to, you know, to do that twice was uh, mm-hmm. um, was it was an interesting experience. Yeah,
0: and I mean, you touched on it briefly, but how was that? How were those paths back different? And how were you different from the process that you've been through?
1: Um, I definitely was a lot more relaxed about playing, and didn't have the same. I didn't. I was intense. I did have intensity, but I was not. It wasn't so all-consuming as what it was um, back in. You know, before I got ill, definitely had a more relaxed. A different approach and I suppose the thought of I want to just try and enjoy this as much as possible as well mm-hmm. as play you know trying to play well as well. Sure. It wasn't just all consuming like it was before. Um you think so. it's possible to
0: recreate that feeling without necessarily having gone through the the ordeal that you've done, or I, I think you probably
1: can do a little bit. I think as you get older, I think you probably just generally do anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that's so sort of, that's probably part of it as well. I'm sure, I'm sure you can do. I think it's difficult when you're kind of in your early twenties to be like that. Yeah, I think it's just you know you've got so much drive and kind of aggression. <laughs> I think it's hard to. Um, you know, it's hard to take a you know a balanced approach necessarily, and, and that feeling of wanting everything exactly, everything yeah, yeah, well? yeah, yeah. I think maybe then just naturally that becomes a bit, you know, things become slightly less intense as you get a bit older. But then that can also mean better results for some people as well, mm. you, because you are a bit more relaxed and you can think about things a bit more clearly, and you've got more experience and all those you know positive things as well.
0: Hmm. So it, it seems like you've. You've gone through so many different stages of, I guess, growth and development mm. throughout your. I mean, as you do in life, anyway, but yeah, yeah. Um, maybe more so than than most in in mm. a squash career. Um, throughout that whole period, can you capture your sort of ideal mindset when you're at your best?
1: Um, so, I think it's just the feeling of being. Um, I think it's just the feeling of being relaxed but alert <laughs> you know you have certain matches where you just for some reason you just feel you know quite eerily calm but also really up for it as well mm-hmm. and focused um and that is uh, yeah that's difficult I don't, I don't know how that comes about but it's um, okay. I mean, I think probably when I played Jahangir when I was talking about that match in the World Open in South Africa, that's probably a time when I had that um, feeling. I actually went too low down against him, but I didn't seem to, you know, I was kind of relaxed within myself and didn't seem to have any panic of any sort. There's a confidence almost that it was all going to be okay in the end. Um, So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's that type of a feeling um, which is you know, which is which is to say is difficult to, to recreate. And I don't think you probably should try and recreate it all the time or you or put pressure on yourself to do because you never I think it's you know, I think sometimes people think, okay, well, I need to try and get into the right mental state. And I think there's I think again, there's a I, I always think there should be a um there should be realism about it all as well. You know, just, just the way things are, you're gonna have, you know, most of the matches you play, I think, you're not going to feel hundred percent or the best that you could potentially feel. But I think you know, the, the odd matches is the way you do but it's just accepting that that okay things aren't always going to be perfect and i think that's quite important to get to the bottom of okay i'll do the best i can do in this current situation mm-hmm. and i'll try to improve physically i'll try to improve mentally but i'll have periods where things get better then i might go back downhill again and maybe improve. hopefully all the time i'm improving and you know i'm getting to this kind of perfect state or you know, my game is becoming better and better but it's an up and down process and um, even when you think you've kind of mastered everything you'll still have days even when you're very experienced and older and you think you've sorted everything out you still have days where everything goes wrong you don't know exactly know why so it's I think it's um, trying to be as realistic about everything as possible as well is also a, a big learning for me um, yeah. and um, I'm always wary of people saying yeah I, I've kind of now know exactly what I need to do and I just think okay, they might do for a period of time, but it's okay well, over a real long, long term. You know, I think it's, I think everyone just has their ups and downs, and that's just the natural way yeah. it is.
0: Yeah, it's being able to adapt and accept whatever. That acceptance kind of just lets whatever kind of mental state or mm. standard you're playing at flow a bit yeah, better, rather exactly, than
1: yeah. making it worse. To enforce things too much, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And, and is there a moment or period in your career that gives you the most joy to think about? Um,
1: period of my career that gives me the most joy. Um, I think it probably was some of the stages where I was probably coming back into the game after being ill, and then you know starting to come back. Um, I suppose the the, um, the whole when I, what I talked about earlier, the World Open, and when I played Jonathan Power and I was had to qualify and get through got through the semi final of the World Open. In some respects, that was you know quite a defining moment in terms of. I suppose just making me realise what you can do in terms of application, <laughs> mental application, if you're not in the right, you know, mm. if things aren't, haven't always gone right for you previously in terms of preparation or, you know, physically not feeling great, you can, st- you know, I suppose it, it reminds me what you can actually achieve, you know, under difficult kind of circumstances, if, if you kind of put your, you know, you put your mind to it, I suppose, or just, you know, things work out well for you. I think that's um, I don't know about the most enjoyment, but it was probably the proudest, almost, in a way, I would say. Yeah, it was, it was kind of around some, yeah. some of those periods where I came back and, and got back to, um, you know, playing kind of top professional squash again. Of
0: all the mental skills, such as focus, determination, emotional control, uh, what do you believe is the most important?
1: Um I would say I'd probably answer that. I'd probably say two things. Actually, I'd say one is resilience. So um, that's kind of obviously in a match, uh, but also suppose throughout your career and dealing with all the ups and downs um, that you know any career is going to have, and, and it's and it's being it's being resilient. And I think closely kind of aligned to that is um, I suppose just getting into uh, kind of a mental state of, of not trying to be too uh, kind of high or low or up, and, up or down at, 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 at different stages. So having a um, kind of a, a measured approach as possible to um, your career and your kind of way of thinking, I think, is really important. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can see players who can have a gone gone great highs and play unbelievably well and then have periods of the career where it's not working quite so well and then they can... Really, kind of start to struggle. So, um I think I think it's trying to get that mindset where you know, if you lose, it's obviously important. You know, obviously it needs to hurt, but it's not literally the end of the world. You can you can kind of bounce back. And similarly, when you win, it's not you know most. You know, it's it's not uh, like you've reached nirvana. You know, there's there's right. things that you need to uh, you know you need to do, and it's just having that kind of long term aim of just trying to get better. I think just mm. trying to improve and you know improve your game and having a clear plan about what you're trying to do and. keep focusing on that I think is um, related to the mental side but it's um, in terms of you know in terms of an overall goal I think that's really important as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you have now or had it might I'm sure it's evolved but any kind of a daily practice or any habits that you have that keep you kind of balanced and centered or feeling good?
1: Um, I mean (laughs) I've had periods of doing different you know trying different things in terms of yoga and meditation and things like that um i would just say just very very simply just uh, you know again it's it's probably going back to not not wanting to be kind of to uh, get too excited or too down about any particular situation just try and trying to remind yourself that um uh you know just trying to kind of take each day as it comes and and just try and be Balance, but I, I wouldn't use any particular techniques in terms of mental techniques to to mm-hmm. achieve that. It's more of a philosophy, I suppose.
0: Okay, like a can just a consistent reminder of yeah, this is I the way so. I'm going to approach my yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And
0: what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn?
1: The lesson that took me the longest to learn. Um, good question. Um, well, it's probably it's probably just what I've been talking about, having a balanced approach to um, to what you're trying to achieve. I mean, I think I said before that probably my greatest strength, which was almost my mental strength and ability to push myself, turned into be kind of my biggest weakness. So it's having a, it's trying to get some kind of balance of that, not losing your kind of strengths and your positive um, uh, you know, mental um, kind of outlook and uh, ability to be mentally strong, not losing that, but then also be being kind of, Maybe a bit more realistic at times, and a bit more measured, a bit more balanced in terms of the physical mm-hmm. side. Obviously, you know, allowing for uh, kind of adequate kind of rest and recuperation, and listening to your body more. Um, you know, there were the things that I've uh, you know would, would try, and you know, uh, hopefully, I've learned, learned learned more as the years go on. Yeah. A bit late now, though, but yeah,
0: it's great. This is again, this is a really good kind of advocate of finding balance and. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's um it's just evident and often quite paradoxical in in a sense mm-hmm. of you know you're you're fight you're trying really hard to succeed but at the same time kind of detaching and having fun and yeah I think the more you can I don't know I feel that balance can potentially be quite a misunderstood approach that you mm-hmm. you're not doing anything but yeah. I think it's quite it's quite a broad word or, or I I I guess philosophy as well mm-hmm. that certainly guides my life mm-hmm. um so, other than Shattered, mm. is there a book or resource that you'd recommend to the listeners?
1: Um, in terms of a kind of a sporting book or any kind of. It
0: could be whatever you want.
1: Uh, any books. <laughs> again, that is, that is a good question. I would. I mean, I, I think I said before, I, 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 never, I never had a sports psychologist when I was playing, but um, one book. That kind of really stuck in my mind that I read when I was younger. And I actually kind of used to reread it quite a lot. Was a book called The Inner Book of Tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that book. Sure. The, this was probably first published back in the 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Uh, and it's a kind of a psych, you know, it's a book around psychology and tennis and how to play tennis. But a lot of the psychologists now would actually refer back to that book as well mm. as saying this is, you know, one of the, uh, I suppose, you know, one of their inspirations and kind of a pinnacle book about sports psychology. Sure. Um and I remember I don't know how I received that book or why I bought that book, but um uh that that, that was something that I would recommend to everyone to go back and read. It probably covers a lot of the same philosophies uh, in terms of you know sports psychology philosophies that people talk about now, but mm. it, it probably you know, it did it probably thirty years earlier than um than than other books now. Yeah.
0: And if you could Go back to any kind of point in your career and advise your younger self. What Mm. would what would you say?
1: I'd say be be more patient. (laughs) Not in terms of how I play the game, but be more patient in terms of um, patience in terms of um, yeah how I would approach the game and what you know what I suppose what I'm what I'm trying to achieve. Uh, Just be more patient um, and and. Know, just realize that things might take longer than you know you think they might do initially mm-hmm. I think that would be um, I think that would be the key thing that I would try and um, try and install and I think also as well I would really mention this area to really try and promote even you know, even uh, you know I suppose from a young age but also as you're getting kind of older into your teens early 20s having a having I suppose doing other things alongside squash as well whether that's education or whatever it might be i think mm-hmm. is really important just for kind of a long term yeah you know, your long term kind of mental outlook um and and, and and hopefully yeah freshness for the game um for you know, for a long career
0: mm. yeah just kind of patience
1: with you, with yourself you know, mm-hmm. and
0: settling in for the long game if it's going yeah. if it's what you really want to do exactly yeah, yeah brilliant okay well that's that's kind of like the main bulk of the the conversation Mm -hmm. um i just want to um stop briefly before the final questions just to say thank you for your time and um for coming on and you know and and i just want to acknowledge you as well for all the like the incredible things that you've achieved and the things you've been through it's it's very inspiring to talk with you about it and i'm sure Mm it will be a big source of inspiration, hopefully for a lot of the listeners too. So, mm. so thank you. What's um what's the best way to kind of keep up to date with what you're doing, or or um keep connected with you? If, if maybe if anyone has any questions to ask about the interview or um, want to, I
1: don't know whether they could go through your website. I don't know. I mean, I haven't got a Twitter page or anything like that, unfortunately. Okay, um, probably need to set one up at some point. But I don't know whether people I mean, like if people do have Questions? Then I'm happy to do my best to try and answer them. Or, okay. Uh, want to know specific things around you know, whatever it might be in terms of my career or squash in general, or squash, squash back in the '90s, or specific players, or you know whatever? Then be more than happy to try and.
0: Sure. Okay. Well. Get some information or answer them. So we'll we'll see um, when I'm writing up the show notes. But worst case, just connect with me. And I'll, I'll pass them on to you, and yeah. I'll I'll be a middleman for yeah. your your questions Fine, yeah. until you get up to up to speed with yeah, the <laughs> with <or something. laughs> the social media world. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. blame you though, to be honest. Um, so, final questions: mm. What is the one thing you know to be true about success?
1: Um, that success is um, success. I think feels the best when it's something that you. Uh, that doesn't necessarily come easy or come the kind of the first time you want it to happen. So um, for me, it's it's it has been more satisfying where it's been, has been some kind of struggle mm-hmm. to it. That's not to say that you should force yourself into difficult situations just because then it might feel better when you've got success. But, um, you know, when you tried and failed and things have gone wrong and, you know, you, you keep going and then eventually things come right. I think that's, and then you have success. I think that's then, um you know for me the best part about um best part about success um hmm. and um you know and all, i suppose also success is 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 great where you, you if you're doing something that you, you, you know, you've enjoyed the process and you 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 enjoy doing what you're doing and then you also achieve success hmm. um Everyone's had times where if you you might have success, but it, it, you know you haven't necessarily been happy during it or even achieving it whatever you wanted to achieve, you still supposedly achieved success, but it's it's um um so yeah, I think it's um I think it's trying to enjoy it and, and just when it happens where you've you've had to work you know hard and it hasn't all gone your own way. and
0: hmm. um, what's the one thing you know to be true about failure?
1: Uh it's t- It's it's disappointing, frustrating, um, uh, upsetting at times, um, but you do get over it. You always get over it. You always kind of. I know it's a very odd saying, "Live to fight another day," but you always can come back. Which is um, so that doesn't make it any easier at that particular time when you experience failure. But there's always another there's always another chance. um, There's always another opportunity.
0: And lastly, when you think of success, who's the first person that comes to mind?
1: Um, I mean, I might be totally—it's just a thought in my head that I would say um, I would just, I'd just—I'd probably say a Buddhist monk would be the first person that comes to mind okay. <laughs> Cause I've been to Thailand a few times, and they seem pretty happy and successful and, uh, in their own life. Um, that probably isn't necessarily true, but that would be the, my first instinct of <laughs> a thought. Yeah. Okay.
0: Thank you. Wow, a Buddhist monk. <laughs> that is not the answer that I was expecting, but great that we're getting so many diverse uh, answers there. Um but yeah, anyway, th- thanks so much for listening guys. Uh I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as as much as we did. Um if you did, then um then please share it with a friend cuz that's that's the best way that this is going to grow. And you can also subscribe via iTunes or the various different streams. Um, you can find out which one is most compatible to your phone or device uh, on my website, which is TomFordSquash.com. And that's where all of the uh, the interviews and show notes will be anyway. If you have any questions for myself or Peter, then then please connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I, I'm not sure if Peter's on his way to becoming a Buddhist monk, but he doesn't have any way to... Uh, to connect with him on social media so the best way is to go through me Um as i said that will be on my, on my website tomfordsquash.com or connect with me on social media uh, that's at tomfordsquash and uh, I'm, I'm probably most active on instagram but you can find me on twitter and other such things and lastly i, I just want to say thank you thank you for taking the time to listen to these conversations and um, follow follow my progress with this because i i appreciate that um it's getting better but, but there there are there are lots of different challenges that that i'm facing with with starting this and uh just one of them is is kind of making sure that the audio quality is good enough, and uh, I'm I'm aware that that it started to get pretty poor towards the end of this conversation, um, ma- mainly because, as I said, we were in the Ernst and Young building, and and we just kept getting moved around a little bit, so it was quite hard to control. But just so you know, I I am trying very hard to make this as as best quality as I can, so um so keep patient, <laughs> and. Uh, it will just get better with each episode so and i hope the the content itself makes up for it so uh in the meantime have a have a wonderful week and i will see you next week with the next conversation peace